is Stuart Pink on Phoenix FM. It is indeed. It's time for film reviews and movie news. And joining me for film reviews and movie news is star of a deleted scene in Three Weddings and a Funeral, The Bar Mitzvah. It's Mark Searby. What would that deleted scene involve? Um, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> I'm thinking. Um... I know what it, I, I've got it. I've got it because obviously you you know this that I used to I used to run a mobile disco many 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 years ago. Oh, um, yes. So I would be the DJ who. Yes. Um, do you know? Actually, I can't. Just before the fifth wedding. There, there's so many stories to tell you about DJing at weddings <laughs> that injecting real life into it would seem over the top, but trust me, it wasn't. Um, it actually so yeah, all happened. It, yeah, it actually all happened. Uh, I'm not <laughs> going to say most of those stories because we are before the watershed. Um, yeah, no, no, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, put me in that film. Uh, I'll be the DJ. Um, the DJ at the bar bits for... Yeah. Um, Sounds good. With... <laughs> With some entertaining things happening. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was about the right era as well, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the times. There. Yeah, the times when I was. It, it basically it was from eighty nine up until about mm, the early noughties um, was oh. my my main. So there could be someone out there listening, and you did do the DJing at their bar mitzvah. How weird uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Where yeah, yeah. That be? yeah, yeah. Um now I recognise his voice. Yes. Uh, uh, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Tagline, what did you used to say? <laughs> no, not really. No. Um, it was so long ago. It was so Put your long hands ago. Hands in the air like you just don't care anything. No, like that. none no. of that. No, no. Never did any of the cheesy lines or anything. Um no. There's still time. There's still time. There's still time. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know the thing is, well, I probably did, but at the time it felt like it was relevant. And now you look back and you're like, oh, no, <laughs> horrible, horrible. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, another time, another place that was. Now I've embarrassed you. How are you? Yes, I'm good. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. Um, good. So we're now into December, um, which obviously means we are. Christmas movies and whatever else. Um, and we should talk about Christmas movies in a second, actually. Um, but a couple of bits of movie news, which have come out this mm-hmm. week. So um, Charlie Brucker, who obviously, you know, he of uh, great writing screen right screen wipe and you know news wipe and all of that and then also um uh black mirror on netflix as well and Dead oh, set yes. and all of that oh, so um he is now making a mockumentary for netflix we don't know any more about it all we know is that hugh grant is in it uh there is no oh. details on what it's about or anything else like that um so we don't know when it's going to be released. It might have already been shot. We have no idea at Ooh, all. Could um, have secretly shot it. Yeah, yeah. Well, some of the you know some of the films that we shot uh, that we reviewed this year uh, were shot in secret or shot you know during lockdown or whatever else it is. So um, we wait to see what's coming up from Charlie Brooker. I for one am excited. I don't think he's put a foot wrong at all in terms of his writing. Mm. Um, I think he's a very articulate man. I think he's a very funny man as well. Um, you know, I think A Touch of Cloth is probably one of his best things he's ever written. Uh, and sadly, it's gone vastly under the radar over the past few years. It's sort of disappeared. So looking forward to seeing what he's got coming next. Um, should be interesting. Nice. Other bit of uh, moving news is that Peter Dinklage, Tyrion Lannister from Game of Thrones, oh, um, yes. is going to star in the Toxic Avenger reboot. 
Oh. Yes. So for anybody who's around my age or slightly older, will remember the Toxic Avenger film um, that came out in the 80s that um, was actually so bad it was good. Um, and I've still got a fond memory of it, to be honest. Um, I'm curious to see how it holds up these days. But, uh, you know, it was one of those 80s sort of gungy type films that was made on such a low budget. Um, so I'm curious to see what they're going to do with this. I hope that they don't go and try and make it all, you know, all shiny and CGI and whatever else. No, keep it gungy. That's the point of the Toxic Avenger, you know, that it's rough, it's ready. Um, you know, it's yeah. it's... It, it kind of says it all in the title. That's the thing. So I'm curious to see what uh, Peter Dinklage um, will be doing in the, in the film. It doesn't say that he's going to play the Toxic Avenger. Is he, as as I say, is he the Toxic Avenger? Well, it or doesn't we say. Sure. We've got to wait. That's mm -hmm. the thing. Um, so it is a little bit of news. I'm quite excited by it. It's interesting casting. I like it when we get interesting casting like that. So, yeah. Is the Toxic Avenger anything to do with Marvel's Avengers? No. No. <laughs> Just shag was here. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely not. There'll be no Tesseract. Um, I, I hope that the Toxic Adventure, the the one from the 80s, appears on TV at some point so people like yourself can see it. Because, as I said, it was one of those films that never really broke out of cult status at all. And it is very cheesy. It is, you know, so bad it's good. Um, but there's a certain <laughs> warmth to it, um, like a lot of films that came out, like uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which I, I adore that film. I absolutely adore it. Um, the same Killer with Clowns. Surf Nazis Must Die. You know, that's another over-the-top film that came out around the same time. All of these, uh, what are now cult films, um, I'm sort of hoping... Get Turn off again. From, reboot. Yeah. The, the Toxic Avenger is certainly loved by a lot of people. So it makes sense to try and make a, a bigger version of that. As I said, I just don't want them to go too big. But who knows? Who knows, honestly? Who knows? We look forward to it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to seeing what, what's going to happen with it. Um, anyway, going on to Christmas movies. So it's now December. People are watching Christmas movies um, and... You know, we've got Christmas movies to review as well. But just going to ask you, off the top of your head, not not your favourite, not your all-time favourite or anything, but Christmas movies that you watch religiously every year, just a couple, what would you go with? Oh, instantly, straight out of the gates, Home Alone. I think we yes. probably quote Home Alone quotes uh, just endlessly over and over again. Right. Uh, throughout the year, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, other than that, we like the Tim Allen one where he's he's Santa Claus. That's a bit, right. a bit classic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Apart from that, really, we don't often do whatever's on in the afternoon. You know, those cheesy ones. You yeah. Can cut with a knife. They're yes. so, so cheesy. Yeah. Those those kind of uh, awful, but in a way, that's what it's about. Kind of Christmassy films. I reckon. <laughs> where you go? Yep, he's going to marry her at the end of it. That's how it's going to work. We, yeah, we know like where it's going, and they'll get married in the snow as well, and it will oh, all be beautiful. Always. They'll turn out that one of them's a prince or a princess or something else. Like or that, not before they get stuck in the snow. And yeah, someone has of course. To come and yeah. Save them. Yeah. Look, yeah. they hate each other, and then they get stuck somewhere because of the snow, and then they fall madly in love, and then one of them says something <laughs> stupid, and then they fall out, and then they get back together and married at the end. And la -di -da and Do you know what happened else? when I got stuck in the snow? I had to call out the RAC. It's not quite the same. I mean, in, in Hollywood, it's got that bit wrong. Was I you think. on your own? 
I was. Yeah, you see, you, see, you see, there you go. You see, that's part of your problem is that, you know, most of these yeah. stories involve two people, whereas you were just on your own listening to, you then know. Then you just get cold. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, so going to going back to the Christmas movies thing. It's interesting because it's such a wide ranging topic, but people go to the same ones time. And again, you know, you saying Home Alone, Home Alone for me. Absolutely. My girlfriend hates it. I love it. Um, <sighs> National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, obviously gremlins oh yeah um, yeah you know uh the santa claus with dudley moore which seems to slowly be passing people by which is a shame because it's on christmas all the time basically you know the nightmare before christmas or arguably one of the greatest films ever made oh, yes. is it a is it a halloween film is it a christmas film who cares you can watch it whenever as long Bit as it's, as long as it's the 31st or of october or after um uh, yeah i mean there's so many to really think about, you know, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is actually an adult um, action comedy from the guy who um, wrote um, Iron Man 3 and directed Iron Man 3 as well. And then the nice guys, which we were talking about off air as well. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang stars Robert Downey Jr. It's a very funny film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's all of these films. Gremlins, obviously. <laughs> oh it's been a while yes it has been a while him. gremlins one and two i mean they're both great um but for me i love scrooged i think that says it i think that says everything about me that i loved Scrooge. i love oh, Scrooge. Yes. i think it's fantastic um you know and it does have that happy ending and it finishes on a song and dance number which i just absolutely adore um but also and this is the weird thing about this also i'm going to say the grinch um, oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm going to say all three versions of The Grinch here. Okay, so I love the original cartoon uh, narrated by uh, Boris Karloff. I think it's fantastic. Um, and obviously the original song from that is absolutely brilliant. Um, I love the Jim Carrey film because that's dark. That is not a kid's film. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, that's says. the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredibly dark, incredibly devious. I think Carrey really tapped into something there. Um that was not on the page in Dr. Seuss's book, but actually was possibly the subtext. Um, And I have to say that I love the recent Grinch as well, which came out a couple of years ago, um, which is definitely for younger audiences. I will say this, it's very kiddie friendly. And I don't agree with Benedict Cumberbatch doing the voice. I don't think it works, but the rest of it, I really Mm. like. I think the animation is a lot of fun. I really do. Um, So, yeah, the whole mm. Grinch spectrum does it for me. I've got to be honest. Um, Stealing Christmas and all that. Yeah, but then, you know, he he realises what Christmas is all about and he grows a heart three times as big and whatever else and he puts them back and he invites them all. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful stuff. It really is. Um, so that, but then, you know, the, you go back to the classics as well. You know, It's a Wonderful Life. Obviously, loads and loads of people love that film as well. White Christmas as well. Um, yes. You know, my girlfriend, old, old ones. my girlfriend says that uh, every Christmas Day morning we have to watch White Christmas. Um, so we get the DVD out and it's on in the background, basically. But it, she doesn't feel yeah. like it's Christmas without watching that. Um, so, you know, there's all of these older films as well. I think that's the beauty of I certainly Christmas mention. films is that you have this main set of christmas films oh batman returns christmas film um oh technically yes. yeah christmas film. Yes. um you have this main cluster of christmas films that everybody goes to year in year out however there are literally millions of underrated or uh 
lesser viewed Christmas films from around the world that people have never seen. So films like Tokyo Godfathers, uh, an animated movie, which is all about um, three homeless people who find a baby on the streets of Tokyo. And it's absolutely brilliant. It really is. Um, Mm. You know, there's loads of great stuff like this. Um, I think about Santa with Muscles, the Hulk Hogan film, which is absolutely terrible, (laughs) constantly voted one of the worst films of all time. But... You know, people watch these films. That's the thing. There's films out there that people adore. There's, there's something different. Yeah, that's the thing. So it's weird to think that we always stick to the same ones. But outside of that, there are all of these alternate Christmas films. I think that's the word. You know, you were talking about, obviously, like, uh, let's call them Hallmark movies that are on in the afternoons, which all have the same sort of pattern and whatever else. But you yeah. have other Christmas movies that have nothing like that. You know, there's there's dark Christmas movies out of Asia that are all about action and bloodletting and whatever else, and they're all at Christmas and they've all got to do with Christmas as well. And you're like, oh, I don't know if I want that. But it shows you how different people react to things. You think about the film that we reviewed a few weeks ago, The Nights Before Christmas, horror movie. Lots yes. of horror movies set at Christmas. People adore horror movies set at Christmas. Um, but we kind of forget about it. And I, f- I find it... You're right, interesting yeah. that we, we go. We just watch the same. We, stuff. Well, that's no problem because you know watching Home Alone every year is not a problem for me or for you. Clearly, well, exactly. Yeah. It's a religion. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to learn that there are films out there that are Christmas movies that are doing something different than what we're used to. I think that's the thing. You know. Absolutely, and we were talking off air. You can expand the genre of Christmas films into things like Die Hard and stuff that's filmed at Christmas. That's a Christmas film. Yeah. I love that. I mean, anything that is set at Christmas is a Christmas movie. I don't care what Bruce Willis says. Um, (laughs) It's a Christmas movie. It's like the Shane Black movie. Shane Black, who has written loads and loads of films um, all the way through his career. All of them are set at Christmas. The Last Boy Scout is a Christmas movie. Um, the Nice Guys, Christmas movie. Predators, Christmas movie. You know, all <laughs> of these films, Iron Man 3, Christmas movie. All of these films and more that he's done are all Christmas movies because they're set at Christmas. It just so happens that Christmas is not part of the storyline. That's the thing. That's what you got to remember. So instantly, Christmas movies have just had a massive upgrade. Everyone's going to be watching Christmas movies now. Let me tell you, the ultimate movie that uh, people don't think of as a Christmas movie, but actually is a Christmas movie because a lot of it is set at Christmas, Eyes Wide Shut. The Stanley Kubrick film starring Tom Cruise and Nicole Nicole Kidman. Kidman. It's all set at Christmas. And the way that Kubrick shot it, certainly with the use of Christmas trees and Christmas lighting has a very different idea on Christmas. Now, Eyes Wide Shut, obviously, you know, to me is one of Kubrick's best films. I know a lot of people don't like it, but it's a movie set at Christmas. It's a Christmas movie. Of course it is. Yeah. I mean, you might want to send the kids to bed before you stick that one on. Yeah, possibly, possibly, <laughs> yes, um, yes. Uh, otherwise, their eyes might be wide open. Um, but, you know, it's, it's things like that that you don't really notice. You watch it during the year and you go, well, it's a film about a married couple whose lives have fallen apart. And, and you're like, well, it's more than that. But, you know, we haven't got time to go into it here. But it's a film set at Christmas. You kind of don't think about things like that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I like this. And uh, I did forget to mention the Charles Dickens classic. I'm sure he envisaged it when he wrote A Christmas Carol as uh, Kermit the Frog. 
playing the main character <laughs> the whole thing that is that's a great uh that is yeah yeah i agree with you do you know what now you've said that for me top five top five however <laughs> i don't know if you know this um you what we watch on tv and what's on the dvd is an edited version is it really yeah there's a song oh, missing there's more? from it yeah there's yeah more? there's a song missing from it um that the only way you could see it is by buying the original vhs uh, there is a song missing from it um yeah disney removed it oh yeah wow bit of trivia yeah do we have to have to sing it to me during the break okay i'll sing it to you in a minute okay we'll do it now then we'll do the films after <laughs> you guys talk amongst yourselves for a minute we're off Phoenix 98FM. It is indeed. It's time for film reviews. Mr. Box here, what we got this week? Busy week. Cinemas open. Cinemas are open. They are open um, again. Hopefully in they're open. In some places. Yeah, in some places, yes. But we Depending should say that cinemas are, are mainly open. So we're back to films that are in the cinema. Um, the first film we're going to talk about is in cinemas and on Netflix from today. Uh, the so, double whammy. The double whammy, yeah. Well played, Netflix. Um, this is called Mank. It's the true story of screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz's tumultuous development of Orson Welles's iconic masterpiece, Citizen Kane. Right. Before I say uh. anything about this film, if you've never seen Citizen Kane, it is on BBC iPlayer for free. It's going to be on there for about six months so you can watch it. I would suggest watching it. I've got to be honest. While mm. there isn't that much that... Um, goes back into Mank, there are a couple of throwbacks to it, which I, I think are, are worthy of seeing, certainly. So Citizen Kane, I highly recommend it anyway. I mean, it's, it is a masterpiece, to be honest. Um, it is worth watching. Right, so this is uh, the new film from David Fincher, who hasn't directed a feature film in over six years, uh, which I was quite surprised. Blimey. Yeah, quite surprised to know that. But, you know, when he comes back, sometimes Fincher comes back with a bang and... This is amazing. I, I honestly, Fincher's directing style, I think, perfectly fits Mankiewicz's story here. The film starts off at a mile a minute because we're introduced to Mankiewicz or Mank to his friends. Uh, he's flat out on his bed, struggling with pain. But this is self-inflicted pain and he uses a high percentage spirits to numb the pain. But it doesn't stop him dictating storylines and other bits and bobs to his assistant. It also doesn't stop him from appearing at the studio or on film sets. I mean, this rapid fire dialogue is something like it's like it's from Aaron Sorkin, basically. It's relentless. It doesn't mm. let up. And this is certainly a movie, certainly for the first hour, that if you don't keep up, you're going to be left behind. So, OK, fast paced. Yeah, absolutely. Um the thing is, it is easy to keep up, though. I will say that because the film really flourishes with its relentless pace and, and certainly its, its central character. Mank is this man who wants it all and gets it all. But this is not a Hollywood romance movie. This is a movie about the highs and lows of the movie business. So, you, you know, scenes like uh, there's a scene here where Mank meets Orson Welles. And they face off against each other. And it's energising. It really is. I mean, it pulses off the screen. There's scenes where uh, Mank is romancing Marion Davis, which are just absolutely mesmerising, really are. Um, Marion Davis is played by uh, Amanda Seyfried, who I've got to say is absolutely terrific in this. Oh, yes. She mm -hmm. steals so many scenes. And I, I couldn't help but fall in love with her, her wit and her zeal and everything else. She was just absolutely terrific in this film. She really was. But... 
as much as I loved her, she can't match the brilliance of as Gary Old, uh, of Gary Oldman as Mankiewicz. You know, some actors grow their characters' progress through the film. You know, I, I think that's the main. It is that you know they've been on a journey basically. Mm. Whereas with this, Oldman sort of takes the opposite approach and makes Mank a larger than life character straight away, and then over time, during Mank's decline, we see him become this shell of a man start to retreat into himself basically mm, so the way. yeah so oldman doesn't just act here he embodies mank like if his life depends on it um yeah. and you know for i think for an actor to do that for entire an entire film's runtime and be on screen for about 99 percent of that shows some phenomenal feat of endurance i've got to be honest you know this is i mean yeah. I'm, it's close to I'm close to saying, um, you know, sort of the way that Brando would work or the the way that Pacino would work, something like wow. that. Um, High praise. Yeah, kind of. Um, you know, that they would understand the character, that they would get to the real root of who this person was and then mm -hmm. spend, you know, weeks and days and months and whatever it is uh preparing as this person and i think he seems like I, that kind of actor doesn't he gary oldman yeah absolutely i mean we Did see him in, in lots Darkest of different Hour. things yeah lots of things that we see him in where he, he, he sort of encloses in on the character and really finds it and certainly he does here um i i think the thing is you know going back to obviously saying about uh, watches and citizen kane I, I think it's certainly worth it whether you know how Citizen Kane got made or not, it doesn't really matter because this film's going to have you transfixed because its storytelling is from that golden age of Hollywood. And also, obviously, well, in particular, one person who came to sort of embody many people who were working behind the scenes during those times. Because this is a person who basically gave his all for to a studio to a hollywood studio and the studio gave him nothing back except chewing him up and spitting him out you know and <laughs> classic that, hollywood yeah well that happened a lot during the the golden age of hollywood um mm. and you, now we hear stories of people like that who we we remember very fondly in the films but we realize that they were under lock and key in terms of contract negotiations and things like that um so that this is one of those films i think when all the dust is settled um, from this, you know, a couple of years time or whatever it is, and, and we look back at films about the inner workings of Hollywood, I think Mank is going to be cited as one of the best of all time. I mean, it is a truly, truly brilliant piece of filmmaking from a brilliant filmmaker about an, a, a truly fascinating true story. Nice. Are we getting lots of these kind of, this seems like an awards worthy sort of film. Are we oh, starting to is. see a few of these at the moment? Oh yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's award season, shall we say. Uh -huh. Um, but yeah, absolutely. But you know, the, we go back to last week, Hillbilly Elegy, which obviously Netflix were, were trying <laughs> to bait the Oscars with and actually yeah. it fell flat on its face. Whereas Mank is the complete opposite. Um, but you know, mm. Hollywood, the Academy love a film about the inside of the industry, even though they persecuted this man and threw him out and spit, chewed him up and spit him out. Yeah. 50 years later, we've made a film about it and we love the film. It's fantastic. And you're like, hang on. <laughs> this, this is this sort is, of having a go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hang on a second. Um, but yeah, I, just, I, I absolutely adored Manga. It, it just blew me away. It really did. Nice.
should say it's in black and white. What, what was that like for you? Uh, no problem. I got no problem, but uh, yeah. I have to say this year Fits I've been. The genre. Yeah, yeah, I think it worked perfectly. Um, yeah, it just it just naturally fits. That's the thing. Uh, my only disappointment actually was the ratio. I kind of wanted it to be in the in an old fashioned ratio. I'm not saying like you know uh, Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, I, I don't need that, but it would have been nice to have it in the old ratio. You know, I think back to the artist, which obviously was in black and white, um, and they put that into an old style ratio, and it worked really well, but. Because Fincher is shooting on such massive canvas, you want to see what he's putting on screen. And I think so yeah. part of me, yes, I'd like to have seen it in one of the, the classic Hollywood ratios. But the rest of me is like, I'm pleased we get to see this huge, expansive work of Fincher on screen because he's very good at doing things like that. Nice. What's our next film? So in cinemas uh, is a British film called County Lines. It's about Tyler, who's this 14-year-old boy who really kind of gets into fights at school. Um, his mother doesn't really care. She's struggling at life herself. And then one day Tyler is introduced to Sadiq, who starts to groom him into a County Lines criminal network. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is all based on true events as well. I've, I've read loads of stories about this over the past few months as well. Oh, wow. Um, so this is kind of a, a coming of age crime thriller. And I think that's a unique selling point, you know, something that doesn't appear too often on screen without the need for lots of swearing, and lots of guns, let's face it. Yeah. Um, County Lines isn't like that. It's a slow burning piece that I, I, I think slowly pulls that sense of dread over the entire film. Because when, when we're introduced to Tyler, it's clear that He's older beyond his years because he's having to look after his younger sister. And also he's the one who's trying to keep his mom on the straight and narrow. Um, mm. He's disengaged from school as well. You know, he's not that interested. He feels like his life has moved on quicker than the rest of the people in in his year as well. And then one final fight puts him on the outside. You know, it's sort of he's wandering the streets, basically. That is until he becomes enamored with this obviously gangster lifestyle. And what happens next is this big change in um, in his attitude and he becomes the thing he wanted to be, which is basically a man or he thinks he's become a man. That's it. But it comes with all sorts of complications that a 14 year old boy doesn't isn't aware of. Yeah. A bit out of his depth. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're saying about depth. The film is very deep. It's very complex as well. It's not an easy watch. It's not straightforward. It's mm. tough. It's no nonsense. Um, and at times it's quite brutal as well. I'll be honest. It's gritty filmmaking. Um, and it shows how easy kids can be led astray if they don't have a role model or some sort of ruling within their house. Um, you know, the slow... The, the, it, it's interesting how the slow rise of Tyler storyline is equal to the fall of his mother. Two very different yet intertwining storylines that are kind of dissecting each character's physical and emotional abilities. I mean, it's a hmm. roller coaster of a film. I will say that. Um, I, but at the same time, I think it's difficult to feel for Tyler when he's so closed off, which is even worse because he is a 14-year-old boy. You know, that's the thing. And I think the film doesn't quite question how he got to that place enough. Yes, it lays bare the stripes, but, it, you know, bringing the things under the microscope now that he's having to deal with, I don't think it questions it as to how easy it was for him to deal with. But these are th these mm. are small points, small issues, really. Um I'm I'm still impressed with this film. I think it is a very low-key British crime film, gritty, bleak. Um, 
I was in, overall. I was I was impressed. I think that's nice. the thing. Yeah, in some ways, an educational watch flipping the the perspective around. But usually, yes. you see this sort of film as a all guns blazing. Kind yeah, of. absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think anybody going to this and expecting you know some sort of Cockney gangster film is going to be very disappointed. Anybody going to this wanting something different, something with truthful storytelling, um, is going to be impressed with it. Nice. Uh, speaking of truthful storytelling, what's, what's our next one? Ah, well, here we go. Christmas film. Well, mm, <laughs> sort of, sort of. So this is a film called Godmothered. It's exclusively on Disney+. Disney Plus. Um, it's Very Disney. Yeah, very, it's very <laughs> Disney. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, we're talking about godmothers and princesses and whatever else. Well, we're not talking about princesses, but, you know, it's sort of that. Um, so it's a story about a young and unskilled fairy godmother who ventures out onto her own to prove her worth by tracking down a young girl whose request for help was ignored. Oh, oh no. Did you hear what happens? Um, here's the thing, right? So we're in the year 2020. I would never have guessed that a Disney movie, an original Disney movie as well, would star alternative comedic actresses Isla Fisher and Gillian Bell at all. I would never have guessed <laughs> that at all. No. But I think that shows how far, not only of Disney come, but also how far those actresses have come as well. Um, you know, that's the thing. Uh, films with females in the lead roles. Um, yeah. And also, uh, this is, I, I should say that this is directed by uh, Welsh director Sharon Maguire, who previously directed a couple of the Bridget Jones films. So, you know, oh, she's she's well versed in, in, in this sort of styling, I've got to be honest. Um, you know, fun and entertaining. Um, and... Godmother sort of fits into a Bridget Jones mould slightly. Isla Fisher's Mackenzie is very Bridget Jones-ish. Um, I can see that from the trailer. Yeah, yes. her life isn't all that. Her work life as a TV producer is tough and her home life, looking after a couple of kids on her own, is even tougher. So you can sort of see the line between Bridget and Mackenzie if you look hard enough. I think that's the thing. Um, yeah. Gillian Bell's fairy godmother is very much from the Will Ferrell elf stylings. I mean, she's she's got no clue yeah. about life in the real world. So there's lots of pratfalls, lots of silly mistakes that she tries to understand everyday life. I mean, we've all seen these types of characters and storylines before. However, Gillian Bell makes it fun. And I laughed out loud a lot at her silly behavior because Bell knows how to make something that I think would make... A, if it was done by another actor, it would just make you titter. You'd go, oh, and whatever else... But the way she sells stuff... She can have her at home. She really can, and I'm really yeah. impressed with this. This is the thing. Um, the main storyline, you'll like the main storyline, actually, because it does fit into those standard Hallmark-type movies, you know. Oh, no, oh, family fun, <laughs> oh, tough times, and a family trying to get through it with each other and love one another. I mean, basic Christmassy stuff here. Yeah, okay. classic. However, it sort of works and you succumb to the cheesiness of it and you sink into a film that exists just for this type of reaction. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the film and there's nothing hugely right about the film. It does what it says on the tin and that is to entertain you for nearly two hours. OK, now, small gripes here. OK, um, it doesn't need to be two hours. It does not need to be two hours at all. The storyline gets bogged down around the 90 minute mark and sort of goes around in the same circle that yeah. it did not 30 minutes previous. Also, now this is my big gripe, actually. This is my big gripe, not just about this film, but in general. Also, making an actress, Isla Fisher here, look dowdy and not pretty 
is not a thing anymore. Okay, we need to stop this. She's all that type thing. I wish that it would stop it because it's ridiculous. Isla Fisher and all of the other people who've had to deal with this sort of storyline are beautiful people. Okay, you can't make them look dowdy. You know, it, it's not as though, like in this film, they go, oh, look at her, her hair's all over the place. She's tired. She's got bags under her eyes. And then what happens is she goes off to the hairdressers and gets her hair done. And she comes out and she goes, oh, look at me. And they go, wow, you look amazing. Like, she looked amazing <laughs> previously. It just She just needed a comb through in her hair. That was it. So it, I don't like this. I don't like it. it. It's unnecessary. It's ridiculous. We're beyond this now, okay? Beautiful people are beautiful people. It's like trying to make Brad Pitt look horrible or something. You're like, look, you know, <laughs> Isla Fisher could turn up with a parsnip on her head and she would still look very beautiful, Okay. <laughs> Stop trying to make these beautiful people look dowdy, okay? Yeah. It's yeah. annoying for us ugly people, right? They're taking jobs away from us ugly people. I exactly. Myself just, here. Just, just give us the role. Yeah, just fine. give us the role. Yes, thank you. We okay, can, look. We can do that. Small gripes aside, honestly, <laughs> this is a nice, fun Christmas family flick from top to bottom. I enjoyed this. Nice. Oh, this looks like fun. This And a Christmas film. A Christmas film, yes, absolutely. Excellent. We've got two more do, uh, DVDs to do. Shall we? Uh, are you going to sing? What was you going to? You were going to no, sing no, the Christmas? Just, oh, I don't, yeah, I don't the feel Christmas like singing. Carol I might just, uh, I might just get my fairy uh, godmother wand out and start uh, waving it round at you. <laughs> we better do that off here. Yes. Phoenix FM FM FM. It is indeed. We're in the middle of film reviews and movie news and joining us, uh, continuing to join us for DVDs is Mr. Mark CB. What we got this week, Mark? Uh, DVDs and blueies, uh, as I like to call them. Blueies. So the first one this week is Train to Busan Presents Peninsula. Don't say that when you're drunk. Train to Busan Train Presents to Peninsula. Busan. Train to Busan. Yeah, that's a, over to you. It, yeah, exactly. So... Um, this is the sequel to what I think was one of the best zombie movies of the last decade, Train to Busan. I mean, it was absolutely brilliant. It's a foreign language film. Better than um, Shaun of the Dead. It's a different film. Okay. It's a very <laughs> different film. Very uh, different. Yeah. Um, the great thing is, obviously, it's a foreign language film, but it, it broke free of that and found footing in mainstream cinema. And the reason because of that is it's gory and yet it cares yeah. for its characters. Right. So, okay. I mean, I love it. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I still think it's one of the best horror films of the last decade. Um, so now we have a sequel. Sequel's always been mooted. I've got to say also there is a prequel. Do check out the animated prequel Soul Station because it's very good as well. Right, okay. Um, now we have a sequel. Um, it's about a soldier and his team who battle hordes of post-apocalyptic zombies in the wastelands of the Korean Peninsula. So it's mm-hmm. it's set a while after Train to Busan, we should say that. Do you need to have seen Train to Busan? Yes, you do. Absolutely, yes. There's quite a few callbacks to it. Um, Yeah. otherwise you you, would recommend anyway. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, So I've got to say that this sequel feels like the franchise has dropped off a cliff. Like dropped off the peninsula, to be honest. (laughs) Honestly, it, it looks like any old generic zombie movie where the running zombies are just chasing a ragtag bunch of people, most of, them all, most of whom you'll know will be bitten. Um, the problem with Peninsula is that this is a film that has characters fighting back. And that wasn't the point of Train to Busan. It was, uh, the point in that film was to survive with your fellow man slash woman. Um, yeah. 
this has many people shooting zombies with automatic weapons and killing them with decapitation. It oh, it's suddenly gone zombie land. It, yeah, this is the thing. Like, it couldn't be more generic if it tried. You go, well, I've seen this in many before. And you would, so you would never guess that this is the sequel to Train to Busan, as I said, one of the best uh, horror films of the past 10 years. About halfway through this film, there's a sequence, right, where a bunch of humans are thrown. Uh, they throw these prisoners, these human prisoners, into a pit to fight a baying horde of zombies. I mean, basically, it's a it's Roman gladiator contest with zombies. <laughs> but the floor's covered in water and the human heroes, in inverted commas, that they slip and slide so much that, honestly, I thought I was watching like a 90s boy band video. Um, <laughs> and Take that. Yeah. The, the thing is, with this scene, the film is, is trying to say that social class still exists even during a zombie outbreak. But I think it misses it messes it up so badly, and uh, you know, Train to Busan did it very well, and it talks about a film of class and haves and haves nots, and Peninsula could have done that, but instead it opts to go down the let's just kill loads of zombies and yeah. do the normal stuff, shoot them, yeah, and then something strange happens in the finale. Um, a different group of humans are speeding down the motorway in different cars and vans, and and the background. CGI looks like it's done from a computer game and not a film. It's very pixelated mm. it, and it happens in the foreground as well occasionally. So when some of the cars run over the running zombies, it looks more like a cut scene from like Grand Theft Auto or something <laughs> rather than an actual film. Mm. And I, all I could think was th- Actually, this yeah, is a, a picture here on the. Yeah, yeah, so you you can see the picture. It, it just mm-hmm. looks atrocious for a film that was made last year. You know, twenty nineteen. Look, CGI has been impressive for twenty something years. Why are we dealing with stuff like this? It's terrible. Um, my Is that main a take stylistic choice to try and do something a bit different. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That's the that's just the answer. Bad CGI. Uh, yeah, part of me thinks it's just bad CGI, cheap CGI. <laughs> I think that's the thing. Um, yeah. You know, my my point, uh, my main takeaway from Peninsula is, look, why would you bother? If you're going to make a, a sequel to an innovative zombie movie like Train to Busan and then make it this generic, why? It's pointless. Why? Yeah, perhaps you were just frustrated you didn't get the uh, Zombieland double tap gig. And, uh, yeah, but, I, but you know, when we reviewed that, I didn't like it. I did. It didn't do what it was meant to do, apart from during the credits. So you had to sit through the entire film for the credits, which is the funniest bit. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, there are certain films that do fall off the edge of a cliff. Peninsula is one, obviously, um, because they just revert back to what they think is a tried and tested method. And actually, we got to this point because something that went previous to it was it innovative and it changed it and that's what we liked about it that's why it became such a big film yeah should have left them there in a the peninsula yeah absolutely yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> Damn. what's our next film our okay last one. so Les Miserables Les Miserables and this is not starring Eddie Redmayne this is not based on the very famous Les Miserables stage production um, book, no. um, you know, um, musical, uh, the the film versions as well. Okay, a few incarnations, haven't there? Yeah. There has, yeah, absolutely. Um, no, this is nothing to do with those. We've got to point that out, okay? Um, this is a story about a cop from the provinces who moves to Paris to join the anti-crime brigade of Montfermeil, um, 
he discovers an underworld where the tensions between two different groups threatens to spill over. This mm. is a searing, brutal film about lines crossed or not crossed with a group of police and how they handle the, the this sort of waiting to explode gang warfare in the inner city, which, you know, couldn't be more prescient if it tried because obviously yes. what's been happening in France at the moment is very much what happens in this film. Um, it is... Much more damning incitement on police brutality and racism. Stefan Ruiz, or as his colleagues christen him, Greaser, um, is a cop who thinks he can handle like the, the hardest elements. Yeah, you know, I, I can do this. Um, he, he is not prepared for what happens, even on his first drive through. I mean, you can see <laughs> that he gets caught off guard as to how his new colleagues deal with those causing trouble. He, he's never seen anything like it before. And he's not trained for it either. Um, it's, you know, but he, he sort of has to adapt. And mm. much like us watching the film, he does adapt to these new surroundings. This is a very no-nonsense film um, in a very much like a civil war sorts within the suburbs. Um, okay. It's just sounded like Shades of Lemmy's. Uh, in well, terms of the, you the see, background of the yeah, story. you see, here we go. This is, this is, uh, you know, that through line is there all of a sudden. Now I'm telling you more about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it does bombard you as you watch it with depictions of threatening violence and, and this continuing escalation. So you have to steal yourself for this film. I will mm. say at times the police and their dialogue feels a little bit cliched. You know, it touches on that NCIS model of cops yeah. being able to do everything <laughs> yeah. like their superheroes. Um, obviously, that's not the actual reality. Um, however, <laughs> beyond those couple of moments of cliches, Honestly, this is such a brutal piece that it, it feels like it's grabbing you by the throat mm. and it just goes, here's a heart pounding moment. Here's another heart pounding moment. It just keep doing these things. Um, and it, it, it not just rises the tension, but it rises the action as well. And while this isn't and shouldn't be seen as an action film, I don't think it is. It does have foot chases. It's got car chases as well. It's got some other bits as well. And these take time to get going. But once they do get going, they are relentless. And I think the finale is easily the most intense moment in the film because it builds and it builds and it builds. And I kept thinking to myself, how is this going to end? How are they going to yeah. release all of this tension? And the, the way it does it is it almost dares you not to watch. And I sat there and I'm like, I don't. Listen, I, I've sat through a lot of, <laughs> you know, horror films oh, and I've sat there and I'm thinking, I don't know if I can watch this bit. This is this is troubling <laughs> to me in a real life way. This is troubling. Um, yeah. And so ultimately, I think I will say that, you know, the, the payoff is brilliant, but in a very tough way, in a very, very brutal way. Um, you know, the, I think this goes hand in hand with Lahane which some people have equaled yes. this film to. Um, I was literally thinking, it sounds unbelievable. We did this at school. We did Lahaine. Uh, yeah. Did study French. I, mean, and I was thinking, this seems like that kind of... Incredible film. French incredible film. Uh, Lahaine, which has actually only just been re-released on Blu-ray. Um, mm. Brilliant film. Yeah, I think it goes into it. There's a lot of similarities here. Um, this one certainly has a wider scope in terms of its characters. Mm. Um, and, you know, as I said, sometimes it gets a little bit cliched with some of the characters and what they're saying. But beyond all of that, and I mean, like, just hugely impressive, hugely impressive police drama that, as I said, dares you. 
dares you to look away. You look away. I'm going to do this. You look away. Not many films do that. Watch if you dare. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. That's kind of what it is. And as I said, you know, couldn't be more prescient if it tried. It really couldn't. Absolutely. They do do these good French films with uh, that hold a mirror up. They yes. Seem, they seem better than any other nation at doing that. They're, they are very good at that. I mean, the, the French are terrific at doing unsettling dramas and thrillers and horrors. Um, they have a certain je ne sais quoi. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I got there in the end. Brilliant. <laughs> What uh, what can we look forward to watching on the telly this weekend, Mark? Well, do you know, I thought maybe we should have uh, a Christmas film. So I've got one film that's not Christmas. Um, actually, let's talk about the first film that's not Christmas, but is Thanksgiving, which obviously was last oh, weekend. yeah, that sort of counts. Yeah, so Saturday at 9pm on Film 4, Planes, Trains and Automobiles is oh, on the TV. Oh, classic. I really don't need to say anything about this film, I don't think, because it sells itself. Steve Martin, John Candy on a road trip together where basically they are opposites and they just do completely the opposite things to annoy each other. We've all been there. This is the thing. But the way that it's done, the way that it's written is just incredible. It really is. Um, You know, John Hughes, a master at this type of uh, writing. Um, I don't know what else to say about this film, really. This is the thing. Just Um, Steve Martin, John Candy at their best. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's such a hilariously heartwarming movie. I love it. It's, It's brilliant. Yeah. So while it's a week late compared to obviously Thanksgiving in the US. It's nice that it's on TV. And, you know, there are moments in the snow. You think about when they get... You could uh, claim it as a Christmas film. Uh, well, it's Thanksgiving. They're, they're getting home for Thanksgiving. But, you know, there is a lot of snow in the film. So, yeah, mm, yeah maybe. I'll let you have it. Okay, <laughs> maybe, fine, maybe. fine, fine. When's this on? So this is Saturday night on Film 4 at 9pm. Brilliant. I'm there. What, uh, what else? Right, a proper Christmas movie this time. Sunday at 4.40pm on ITV2 is Arthur Christmas. Um, oh, yes. Yes. The animated. Yes, the animated. I have to say, um, I like this film. I'm not bowled over by this film. Um, I'm more impressed with the... Uh, rather than Arthur Christmas, you know, trying to save Santa and whatever else, I'm more impressed with... The sergeant, or whatever he is in this, uh, and his company of army elves. What elves are they? Are sw- cool. uh, yeah, I'm more impressed with that storyline than the Arthur Christmas storyline. Um, I think there are a lot of funny moments in it. I think there are moments that don't work at all. But, you know, it's one of those films, we were talking about this earlier, it's one of those films that actually you kind of watch at the right time and it just feels good it's entertaining it's fun and i think arthur christmas is one of those in that while i'm not a huge fan of it i probably would sit down and watch it all the way through and just go yeah 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 but then never really utter its existence again until a year later that's the thing so yeah it's festive yeah um as i said there's some really funny moments in there i mean uh the the old santa with his false teeth is very funny (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, that's funny. Um, The reindeer, they're quite funny as well. So it's weird thinking about it in that the Arthur character I don't think works, but everything around it does work. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Mm. What uh, what can we look forward to doing next week? So next week we've got more films that are in the cinema. Uh, We're going to be talking about the new Margot Robbie film. It's called Dreamland. 
Oh, mm, yes. We've got a, hmm, I don't know a way to describe it. Uh, maybe a documentary, but it's not. Scripted documentary is probably the way I'd describe it. It's called The Mole Agent. And then on DVD, we've got Seth Rogen falling into a vat of pickles and pickling himself for <laughs> decades in the film American Pickle. Um, <laughs> Appropriately told. Yeah. And then we're going to be talking about the new recut of The Godfather Part 3. Now <laughs> christened The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. That's right. Um, Do you want another 10 minutes to continue saying that title? Yes. um, Francis Ford Coppola has gone back and re-edited The Godfather Part 3 for a brand new version, um, which is on Mm Blu-ray and DVD next week. Just a reminder, it's called what again? (laughs) The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. And see if you can remember that next week. <laughs> well, I'll remember it. It's no problem because it's oh, seared into my mind. That's the thing. But yes. yeah, I think most people go, The Godfather Part 3, 2.0. <laughs> three, point, 3 again. Yes. <laughs> nice. Excellent. Well, it sounds like an offer I can't refuse. Oh. Oh, I'll see you here next week. <laughs> Will do. Have a good one. Bye. Phoenix 98 FM. Go to phoenixfm.com and listen to online guest interviews, check the events for your area and listen to great radio online. Phoenix 98FM The Godfather Part 3, 2.0 <laughs> 3.3 3 again. Yes. <laughs> nice, excellent. Well, it sounds like an offer I can't refuse. Oh. oh, I'll see you here next week. Will do. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye. Phoenix 98 FM. Go to phoenixfm.com and listen to online guest interviews, check the events for your area and listen to great radio online. Pink home.